Our first scripture reading is out of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 60. It says, Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and the thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you, and the wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of our Lord. Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem of the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, was I? On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary and his, mo- his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left on to their, for their own country by another road. Word of God. So I have a playlist of songs. This is going to annoy Alicia to all get out. I have a playlist of songs that I listen to every year in the week between Christmas and New Year's. It's a bad habit I picked up in high school, and I don't know why I keep doing it. Um, But one song this year stuck with me more than it normally does. So I think I'm going to take a leaf out of Chuck's playbook and play Name That Tune. Sherry, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) Let's see how this goes. I don't know. You know exactly what I'm going to say. All right. So the song says, The Smells of Hospital in Winter. And the feeling that there's an awful lot of oysters, but no pearls. All at once, you look across a crowded room to see the way that light attaches to a girl. And it's one more day up in the canyons. And it's one more night in Hollywood. And if you think I could be forgiven, I wish you would. Anything? It's... He lost you? He got, he got excited. <laughs> he said, I don't care if there's a pearl in it or not. Oysters are good. All right, so this song uh, is the second most popular song. It's got Courtney Cox in the music video. 
Uh, this is a long December by Counting Crows. Anybody? Anything? Uh, is this? Am I playing a generation below? I think I'm playing. There you go. That's, uh, like mid '90s, mid '90s. Um, okay, so this song has kind of a melancholy hope to it. It has a the feelings of a better year to come. So it's got this wintry, New Year'sy kind of vibe that sticks with me every year. And this year, something about it. Because it says, like, so the whole song says it's a long December, and there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. So it stuck with me so hard this year, maybe because of how acquainted my family has been with the smell of hospitals in winter or otherwise. So this song has been in my mind, and in, as the new year starts, and it's been on my mind especially this week for Epiphany, and I'll explain why later, so to give you a little bit of a... Uh, hint there. So epiphany comes from the Greek, Greek word epiphania. I'm probably saying that wrong, meaning appearance. Uh, and it was technically yesterday uh, because it's always January 6th after the 12 days of Christmas. So you can just go ahead and sing that song in your head now. Um, while in our culture it's kind of a forgotten holiday and some other cultures uh, around the world, it is just as important as Christmas is. Uh, and a lot of in uh, a lot of cultures, because of the connection with the wise men and the gifts they bring Jesus, that's the time that you, you share gifts with your family. Uh, instead of leaving out stockings for Santa Claus, kids would leave out shoes for the, the camel-riding wise men to drop gifts in on their way to Bethlehem. So since it's the celebration of Magi coming to Jesus, that's where that comes from. There's other weird traditions. One of the traditions I read about was the fact that the day before Epiphany, Twelfth Night, is generally the time that you're supposed to remove your Christmas decorations. And if you don't, if you wake up on Epiphany morning and you forgot to remove your Christmas decorations, and you're not supposed to remove them until the 2nd of February. So if your Christmas decorations are still up, you, you, you've got a, another month to go. One that's a little bit more, um, has a little bit more of a spiritual significance is a, a chalking of the house. Uh, so you, on the, above the front door of the house, you would put the date, the year, the, the year, and then CMB. So CMB is the initials for the wise men, the traditional names for the wise men, Casper, Melichor, and Balthazar. Balthazar is the coolest name I've ever heard. Um, uh, but it's also an abbreviation for Christus uh, Mansonium Vindicat, which is in Latin, May Christ bless this house. And Richard's sitting back there saying he's just mispronouncing things left and right. <laughs> um, so it serves as a blessing for the dwelling, uh, just for both the house and the people in it for the coming year. So why is this story over the years in all of these different cultures manifested in so many different ways to, to affect us so, so greatly? The three wise men bringing gifts to baby Jesus is not just a fun part of the story, but it's the first time we see the promise of God bringing the good news to the Gentiles. These are not Jewish people. These are not people who came anticipating the Messiah, but they come to celebrate the king of the Jews anyway. While the Jewish people have reason to expect the coming Messiah, these three magi have no reason to swear allegiance to the king of the Jews. But they do, and they're always the symbol of the Gentile people being included in the story, being included in the benefits of the incarnation of God. 
God so loved the world to send his own son, and this was known in the in some of the most unlikely places. So traditionally, these three magi all are each given different races and ages to symbolize the the fact that this is for all people. This is not for it's for somehow they 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 completely miss the boat on including a woman, but that's so you have light skinned, darker skinned, bearded, not bearded, aged, not aged. Um, this whole hodgepodge to try to say this is for everyone. So the epiphany is also important because it gives us a historical center for the nativity scene taking place. It gives us a historical perspective because so often in our nativity scenes, it seems calm and quiet, but there's no representation of the fear that is felt in the story. Nativity sets don't ship to your house with a King Herod just standing there with a stern look and a sword. That's not how this works. But it should, because from our text today, we can see that Herod's reign is just as much of a part of the story as the shepherds, the wise men, the, the camels, the, the, the cows, the, the lambs, and all the other things nativity sets come with these days. So the weirdest thing about Herod's reign is that while it was terrible, it wasn't especially terrible. We were talking about Herod in Sunday school uh, what, a month ago something like that. And we got that Herod was a puppet of the Roman state, and he made things hard for the Jewish people, yes, but his terribleness was basically just par for the course. It had been seen before in the region and was seen later. History is full of Herods from all cultures and all walks of life. Herod is a a stand-in for the darkness that can be felt under the boot of empire no matter where we are in time or place. It is in this darkness that something so atrocious as a slaughtering of a generation to, can occur in the name of holding and maintaining power. It is in this kind of darkness that land is ripped from the hands of those that have lived there for centuries, that people are bought and sold, and that wars are waged in the name of power and profit, or that a person's worth is determined by their bottom line. It's a darkness that's existed long before Herod, and it's a darkness that still continues today. But clearly, that's not where our story ends. In the darkness of the time of King Herod, a star is seen. There's so much about this star we don't know. So let's think about what we know about stars for a second, if I can just just teach some astronomy. We know that stars are, to quote Pumbaa from The Lion King, balls of gas burning millions, billions of miles away. Many of them are so far away that miles lose their meaning when we talk about them. We need a new measurement of distance to gauge how far away from us they are. So a light year is the distance it takes light to travel over the course of a year. Does anybody off the top of your head remember how many miles a light year is? What's that? That's that's a second. You'll both get So that's a second. So multiply that by how many seconds are in a day, and then multiply that by 365, you get 5.9 trillion miles. So a light year is 5.9 trillion miles. So light is so fast that if you give it a year, it'll travel almost 6 trillion miles away from the point of its origin. Now let's consider one of the most famous single stars in the sky, the North Star, Polaris. It's 433 light years away. That's 2 quadrillion, 554 trillion miles away from us. 
That means it literally takes 433 years for the light that we see of the North Star to reach our eyes. Which means the light that we're currently receiving from Polaris is from the year 1585, when Shakespeare was still around and the Roanoke colony was just founded. That light could have gone out in the last 433 years and we wouldn't know. Well, from the naked eye, we wouldn't know. I think from telescopes we know, but I don't hold me to that. So let's get back to our magi for a second. They see this star rise. I love that language, a star rise. It's like, it just came up over the, that's not how any of this works. But does that mean that they saw the light for the first time? Does this star blinking into existence into the night sky? Does that mean that, that this, wherever this star was in that in the galaxies its light reaches us for the first time so stars change in brightness and visibility so that's a possibility but think about just how long before this story that would have had to happen for them to see it at the moment that they see it god was at work bringing light to the darkness so much longer before that night so even in the darkness of night trillions of miles away the way was being prepared for the coming of Christ. And so just like the new light of a star puncturing the night sky, the new light of God's kingdom was puncturing the darkness of empire. That's the thing about epiphany, the word epiphany. Today we're celebrating the arrival. It's the traditional, like the Greek word means arrival, revealing of the divine through the birth of Christ. But there's another definition for epiphany. You know that sudden, intense realization that everything is different than the way it once was? That, that everything you knew is different than it was before? That's an epiphany, right? That's that, that blinding idea that just hits you like a truck. The theologian H. Richard Niebuhr talks about the idea of revelation as the idea of reading through a book you just don't get. You're just reading it because you have to, but you don't understand a word of it. But then one sentence shows up, and then suddenly everything you've read before makes sense. Everything that you read after makes sense. It's that feeling of watching a movie, and there's a twist, and you go back, and you can see the twist laid out in front of you through everything that you'd seen before, but you didn't realize it. Throughout history, the Israelite people thought they understood why they needed a Messiah. They thought they needed someone to come destroy the empire of the weak and start a new empire. Their world was so in darkness that they thought the only thing that could beat it was a stronger darkness. They never realized that what they needed was the light of the world to step down into their darkness. To live among them, to shine so bright that it wasn't just for the people of Israel, but it was for everyone. Which leads me to think of a different star. A closer star, our sun, so close in comparison that it only takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to show up. And even when we can't see the sun, even when we're in the darkness of night, we have the light of the sun through the moon. The moon doesn't make its own light. That's not how that works. The moon reflects the sun's light back to us. And the reading from Isaiah this morning reminds me of that. It starts, it says, to the people of Israel, it says, arise and shine, for the light of the world is upon you. So it doesn't say, 
make your own light. It's saying shine because the light of the world is on you. It's reflecting. We are to reflect. That's what the people of Israel were to do, and that's what we are to do as followers of Christ. It's our job to reflect the light shown back at us to those who have none. It's our job to pierce through the darkness and point people to the incarnate God in God's way, which is wholly different from the way of empire. Now, all this, strangely enough, is what brings me back to the Counting Crows. I told you it would make sense, and hopefully it does. If it doesn't, you can let me know afterwards. The song says, all at once, you look across a crowded room and see the way that light attaches to a girl. Now, the actual story of the song, the, the, the singer is talking about a friend of his who uh, was in a car accident. And so he spent the entire December uh, at the hospital with her as she was feeling better. And that's the moment, all of a sudden, was the moment that she seemed to be herself again. And that's what he's talking about. But that's not what I heard when I was listening to it this, this, this December. What I heard was in our most despairing moment, the way we can see light reflecting off of those around us. Because when all seems lost, the light of God attaches to those around us in ways that can keep us going, in a way that can give us hope. It can light the way when all seems dark. So on a personal note, I just want to thank you all as our church for the way that you have allowed God's light to bounce off of you this year. 2017 was a dark year, but it was a year that there was light coming off of each of you, and I'm thankful for that. May 2018 be a little brighter. Let's pray.